Hello everyone and welcome to the Shivam and Friends podcast, a space where I have some free-flowing conversations with fascinating folks. Before we get on with the show everybody, I wanted to please request you to subscribe on whatever platform you are accessing this content. Additionally, if you've been listening for a while, I would love your thoughts and feedback at shivam.nimani@gmail.com. So if you have any thoughts or ideas about how to make the content better or if you have any episode recommendations, go ahead and let me know and I will definitely interact with you via email. And finally, I would want to remind you that the full conversation is available on video at YouTube under Shivam and Friends podcast. My next guest, Johar Ilham, is the daughter of Uyghur scholar Ilham Tohti, an internationally noted moderate voice who was dedicated to bridging the gap between the Uyghur people and the Han Chinese. As an advocate for her father, she testified before the U.S. Congressional Executive Committee on China, wrote op-eds in the New York Times, met with a number of government officials, including former Secretary of State John Kerry and received numerous awards worldwide on behalf of her father. In 2015, she recounted her experiences in the book Johar Ilham, a Uyghur's fight to free her father. Johar has finished her degree at Indiana University this year. She is taking a year off to assist on a documentary film about Uyghurs as well as to continue to advocate on behalf of her father. It was a pleasure and honor speaking with Johar and I hope you all enjoyed listening to the conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. All right, and we are rolling. Johar, how's it going? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well actually. Uh, it's crazy. It's election time right now. So there's madness around there as well. So there's a lot of crazy um like a lot of stuff. The media is going out of control. People are looking at it all day. I feel like uh, so I I don't know about earlier ele- elections but earlier you didn't have to actually be plugged into every single thing that's happening but now because people are so interested all over the world they're just like tuning in to see exactly like punch by punch what's happening and it's yes. crazy. Yes. This is the, actually the first time um my life in my life that I I'm actually glad that I don't I don't have the right to vote. Yeah. <laughs> Because I don't know who to choose. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's absolutely bad. Um it's a tough decision for any any American voter because uh there it's a very a lot of people ask me, you know, can you predict what's going to happen, who's going to and I was like there's no way that you can take a prediction. The country's pretty divided and it's pretty divisive. And let's talk a little bit about uh when you came to the states so it's been around 6 or 7 years more than 7 years, years? Yeah. around well in february it will be my 8 year it will be 8 years right this coming february and uh, what has that been what has it, that process been like what has what has the past 8 years been like for you mm it still feels like a dream yeah and the first the um eight years ago when i first arrived in uh in 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 indiana in the united states to be honest that day still feels like it just happened a few weeks ago yeah uh, pretty weird and 
time really flies. Uh, I have indeed done a lot for the past eight years to achieve different goals. Yeah, I have achieved some, and I'm st- there are still a lot of goals yet to be achieved, and and some of them are still far away. Right. Uh, um. Yeah, eight eight years ago, I didn't speak much English. I didn't know anybody. Didn't have money. Um, didn't have school. Um, I had to drop out of the university I was at uh, when I was in Beijing, and everything was just um, um, abnormal. Yeah. Well, my life is still pretty abnormal now, but compared to at that time, I had no idea where my future was leading. Future was leading me yeah. to um, at the age, I was 18 year old I didn't know what to do without my parents help because I was a spoiled kid with you know growing up with my parents um, being my you know safety shield at the entire time and coming to coming to the US having to figure out how to pay my rent myself yeah. how to pay electricity bill myself how to pay my phone bill myself it was all everything was yeah. so new and and I've never left home for this long i've never been apart yeah um, for this long now i'm actually on the other side of the world and um haven't even heard or spoke to my some of my family for over seven years right and very very um i'm still i'm still processing i'm still trying to get used to i don't know how long it's going to be that must have been tough and i really appreciate you actually having this conversation with me it must be i i really respect the fact that you're brave enough to actually talk about your experiences with people and uh you know bring awareness to this issue so i from what i understand that you're you're from the uyghur region of china and uh, you were from whatever research i did you were in shanghai and no beijing sorry my bad beijing yeah. and then you moved to the states from there and you said it's yes. been tough for you to uh, be in touch with the people back home with your friends and your family so just to provide people some context why is it that it's hard for you to stay in touch with them um it's it's not hard friends because most of my friends uh, in china are han chinese right. friends i grew well, in Beijing, there aren't that many Uyghur people, and um, I was born and raised in Beijing, yeah. and um, most of the Uyghurs I knew was my father's students or my father's co- colleagues, mm-hmm. so um, I didn't have too many Uyghur friends. And communicating with Han Chinese friends until now, it's it wasn't been it hasn't been interrupted by anyone, but um, I still be in touch with my best friend from middle school and from high school. Um, and some of them are very, um, supportive. Some of them had blocked me because of my, um, what happened to my family and yeah. And with my family, so the last time I spoke with my father was the day before he was arrested, which was, um, he was arrested on January 15th of 2014. So January 14th was the last time I talked to him in, in 2014. And um, now he's serving a life sentence in prison, uh, not in Beijing, even though his birth 
even though his uh, resident paper is from Beijing, his work is from Beijing, his, he, his house is in Beijing, everything is in Beijing, but he was transferred to the Uyghur region. He was transferred to this, the capital of Uyghur region, which it is called Urumqi. Right. Uh, now he's serving his life sentence in Urumqi First Prison. And with my rest of my family, um, my cousins, my uncles, my my grandparents, they're all my grandma. They're they're all in the Uyghur region in Atush, which is my hometown. Yeah. Uh, I cannot be in touch with any of my family members in Atush since since 2015, I believe. Uh, most of them have deleted me from social media. It's not because they hate me. <laughs> I grew up being very close to my uh, relatives, yeah. even though we live in different province, provinces, we live in different cities, but we used to be very close. And um, but our family, our my, my family, my relatives have been influenced a lot because of what happened to my father. Um, so my father's detention also led to um, uh, um, some uh, some influence on my uncle's jobs. Right. Um, they got uh, what do we call it in English? Um, the opposite of promoted um, in English. Not they did not get fired, but they no longer in the in charge. Got it. Uh, no longer in the high position anymore. Yes. Um, excuse me. My English is still. I'm still trying to work on my English, even though after eight, almost eight yeah. years. Um, is it demoted? Is that even a word? Yeah. yeah. Anyways, <laughs> um, so I I do completely understand why my family members have uh, some of them have uh, cut off their um, their uh, communication with me. Yeah. And um, my stepmother and my brothers they're living in Beijing. Right. I cannot talk to them uh, really. Yeah. Uh, because of um, there, we always face some interruptions. Got it. In our calls, in our uh, social media. Uh, do you think people are listening into your conversations? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's not. I think it is comfortable. <laughs> okay. Uh, I since middle school, we already had bugging devices in our living rooms, and while we eating, we always had in our lamp. We had bugging devices that the police um, set up. So, um, and our phones were. We're, we're constantly monitored. If we pick up phone calls, sensitive phone calls, yeah. quote unquote, then um, you will hear the buzzing sound. And then my father would always joke, oh, your uncle police is here. Got so, it. Um, so yeah, it's, ju it's, just to follow up about that. So with reference to, um, so for one, I'm sorry to hear about your dad. And with the, uh, he, you said he. You said that he's currently serving a life sentence. For what is he like? What have what has he been accused of that he has to serve a life sentence? Um, he was accused. Um, there were several accusations. Uh, he was accused of being a separatist. Yeah. He was accused of being an extremist. He was accused of for promoting violence. Right. And he was also accused of uh, trying to um, um, uh, threaten the government's regime. So let me explain with those four things. Yeah. Being an uh, being an a separatist means someone who's trying to separate the country. Yeah. 
being an extremist. Um, they were referring to my father as a religious extremist. Yeah. And uh, also, uh, also referring my father for promoting violence. And he apparently the government claimed my father started uh, said violent words or promote uh, wanting to start some violent riots in the Uyghur region right. and also others was trying to threaten the government's region. So for the first accusation, um, the um, separatism, my father was actually one of the very few uh, scholars. He was well known for, for his modern voice. Yeah. He, the reason he was so popular in China, not only among the Uyghurs, but also among the Han Chinese and also, he was uh, very well known in the West. Was because of his moderate voice. Right. Was because of promoting peace. He was promoting um, peaceful dialogue between the Uyghurs and the Han Chinese. Yeah. There were some conflicts. There's still some conflicts and misunderstandings between the Han Chinese and the Uyghur yeah. people. And my father believed that um, all those misunderstandings and conflicts were due to the fact that their lack of understanding. They they don't. They simply, they just don't have enough knowledge of each other. So if you don't know too much of the other side, you'll always c kind of assume the other side as the evil other side. And my father wanted to prevent that. And he created this website called UyghurBiz.com. Actually, just uh, less than a month ago, a few weeks ago, uh, a, a group of technical people um, all, uh, all, over, all over the world voluntarily restored this uh, website that was shut down by the government. And so you can actually be able to find the archived um, website that is active again on, uh, on Google or what I was yeah. searching in Google. I, did, I, did, I did look up your dad's name and I, I think uh, I, a lot of what his position was was very moderate. Very, very, very moderate, moderate in very. his approach, and he he always I seemed to me that he wanted to facilitate a conversation between the Han yes. Chinese and the Uyghur people to kind of come to some kind of peaceful resolution in what's going on there. So he had not once mentioned about separating the country. Right. He has not once mentioned about wanting to have independence over the Uyghur region. Um, so for the for the accusation for being a separatist, that's completely false. For being an extremist, um, just, just a small anecdote. When I first came to the US, yeah. um, my father was still under house arrest, not being fully um, detained. Right. So it, it was about 11 months. So we used to communicate every single day over Skype when I was in the U.S. And um, I, uh, so I arrived in uh, February. I, I believe it was that year's Ramadan in 2013. Probably it should be around July-ish. So anyways, we were Skyping. And it was my first Ramadan, Ramadan without having to... Um, be careful with oh if i'm going to get expelled from school if my teacher is going to find out if i fasted will i be forced to eat? Uh, i didn't have to worry about yeah. those and i didn't have to so it was my first time I actually had muslim friends around me yeah. and um who they were they were very friendly and teaching me about islam and teaching me uh, how to fast properly how to do how to do this and this and that which i didn't have too much access to because um, 
you're not really allowed in Beijing yeah. uh, to do do so. Um, you could get expelled. You could get fired for your job. You could all kinds of things. And um, so I remember first time I put on hijab, yeah. and I turned on Skype with my father. I was expecting him to be. Um, I, I, I was really uh, interested in his reaction, yeah. but his reaction was um, fear. I could see fear in his eyes. He was like, oh, why did you put yeah. that on? And he's like, maybe we should turn off the camera because he was afraid that our um, our uh, conversation was monitored. So a man that is so careful with his daughter who is living in, in the overseas who, who just tried putting her hijab on the first yeah. time. She was even afraid for that. How can he become a an a, a religious extremist? He had never once promote, promoted anything like this. First of all, Islam is a peaceful yeah. religion. Um, there are people could mis mis be misguided by whoever <laughs> is, but that does not represent Islam. Yeah. It is false interpretation for the government to assume all the Muslims are. Religious Can I pause you right there? Because I have a follow-up question. Yeah. So uh, yeah. this is actually something that I've seen come up. Like one of my friends. So the when I when I got exposed to Uyghur culture was actually because in Fairfax there's a very nice Uyghur restaurant, and I was having food and it it seemed like it was a mixture of curry and like Chinese food. Like it was very very. It was like there was it was Afghan food, and then at the same time, it was a very odd mix. And I was like, "This is very different from the rest of the Chinese food that I've eaten." And then my friend, who is from mainland China, he told me that this is from this is Uyghur cuisine, things like that. And I asked him. I said, "You know, you know, what do you know about the Uyghur people? Can you tell me a little bit more about the Uyghur people?" And he made a blanket statement. He said, "Well, the Uyghur, they're." They're Muslims here, and most of them they tend to be China, uh, they tend to be terrorists because they stand up against the government. And uh, I understand that this, is, but to me, after a while, I realized that my friend also repeats a lot of the things that he hears from the media and a lot of the news and the information that he gets in the from uh, the news in mainland China. So, with reference to that. Why do they want that label of, you know, Uyghurs are terrorists to kind of, why do they want that narrative to keep going, going ahead? I believe it's to justify their, justify their actions, to find excuse for their negative actions, their, their suppression, their, their abuses on the Uyghur people. Um, in order to make them not look like the bad guy is to make the Uyghur community become to, to look like a bad guy. The concept of um, Uyghurs are terrorists didn't even come, didn't even exist until until when 9-11 happened. Um, mm -hmm. Before that, the Chinese government always, uh, uh, always perpetrate, always describe the Uyghur region as, oh, it's a peaceful place, please come visit, uh, travel here. And right after, right after 9-11 happened, immediately the government linked uh, the Uyghur community to, um, to a ter uh, ter terrorist groups, right. which I think they, they have been long waiting for an excuse to do so. Um, so why, lots of people ask, why the Chinese government is targeting so much on the Uyghur yeah. region? Why? Yeah. 
So Uyghurs are not the only ones that are targeted. Kyrgyz people, Kazakh people, there are 13 ethnic minority groups are living in the Uyghur region. The majority, but there are other ethnic minority groups like Kazakhs, Kyrgyz people, and Uzbek people. And those people are targeted as well. Majority of the Uyghurs, majority of those uh, ethnic minority groups living in the Uyghur region are Muslims. Yes. But not everyone. There are a very small uh, uh, portion of Christians and Mm -hmm. atheists, but all of those people are targeted. So religion is, it's one of the key factors, but it's not the only main factor. Right. What I believe, I'm not a uh, policy expert, nor a politician or a historian. Uh, historian or anything but based on my own experiences and how i now analyze the situation is the government find this uh, not finding uyghurs as a trouble they're finding the uyghur region uh, not having full access uh control of the uyghur region as so troubling to them so uyghur region so full of um natural resources like natural gas, uranium, oil. Uh, so it's automatically a natural powerhouse for, for China. And it, it, consume, it reserves 20% of the entire natural uh, resources of China, just the Uyghur region itself. Right. And also the Uyghur region produces 80% of the cotton production of China. We know China is so big on textiles. Yeah. Every clothes basically you see it. It's basically made in China. Yeah. And the 20% of global cotton production is from the Uyghur region. And um, that's why the Uyghur region is so valuable to the government and also because of the geopolitical, uh, the the geographic uh, location Mm. of the Uyghur region, it's connected to all the Central Asian countries. And since 2013, the Chinese government wanted to start this Belt and Road Initiative. Oh, that's too too much politics okay uh, so just just uh, just a little information whoever yeah. is interested can look it up yeah so uyghur region um if you look on a map um built on road initiative uyghur region you will see it so clearly you don't even have to have it if you will yeah. understand immediately yeah. why it's such a critical um uh situation for the Uyghurs because it's right middle of everything it passes everything Got the it. railroad the gas line the pipelines they're all Across yeah. Region. What I also read was that since it's the most uh, northwest part of um, China, right? It also is a it's a big connection to the rest of Europe. Yes. Uh, yes. So it's a very strategic space to kind of yes. be in. So that's mm-hmm. another reason why reason why yes. this is happening. Yeah, and also um, China is a. It's an atheist state, I believe. Most of the people, at least most of the people are atheists. Some might be Christians and um, Buddhists, but it's very small, mm-hmm. um, pop, very small percentage. And um, um, religion, um, would, I cannot say never, but it's just not that of a popular thing. Yeah. Uh, especially, it's not very popular in the tech. It's not very welcomed in the the Chinese government. In order to become a communist party, you have to, uh, you have to be an atheist. Got it. And yes. that's by design, right? Like it's not that the people just happen to be atheist. There were like the government has it, gone out of its way to ensure culture, that. 
over there, the government also, because if you have religion, you have faith, you, you are, um, you, you're, um, how do I say it in English? The government wants your, wants your faith to be the government God. instead of a religion or a God. Yeah. Um, if you, if, if some, for example, um, if let's say someone was cured by, by a, a doctor after almost, almost dying, a religious person might be more likely to say, uh, alhamdulillah, like, thank God for, 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 for saving me, something yeah. like this. But an atheist person might, might possibly say, oh, thank you, government, for giving, building this hospital. Yeah. For So their appreciation goes to the government instead of the God. So um, being not religion, not religious, uh, serves um, the government's interest God. more. And it makes the, the people, the civilians, more easy, easier to be controlled. <coughs> right. Yeah, and as a result, um, I know that those those groups of people around the area, and you know, such as Uyghurs as well, um, they have like the government takes certain moves to ensure that they don't like their religion does not stay, or those people are kind of say in like indoctrinated to the practices of the mainland. I'm making it sound way cleaner than it actually is. It's a very yes. messy process. Yes. So um, indoctrination is very common in the Uyghur region now. And um, um, so, so far, there are over one million people are locked up in either concentration camps or in uh, forced labor centers. And um, all of them or most of them um, need to um, simply sing the Chinese national praising God songs in order to get their meals that yeah. day um they they need to praise uh pray, praise uh pray the government um uh, what is the song it's been so long it, i used to have to sit, learn those songs I, too but i think i heard it today it's uh it's basically you're thanking the communist party of china you're saying thank you and uh that's why you exist and things like that uh jerk are you with us yeah okay Yes, uh, I just got a call. So Everything, probably, yeah. Sorry. Everything, yeah. Yeah. So, praise, uh, yeah. Praise God. God. I mean, praise government and for for giving you, may, making you even exist or something like that. Yeah, and I heard that they do it just before dinner or lunch. So you're saying that it's one million people. Yes. Um. Minimum. That's minimum. Yeah. Um. In the beginning, the first few years when the Uyghurs have been testifying and trying to uh, advocate for their families' release and trying to call out that there are people are locked up, there are millions of people are locked up, and the government said, no, we don't have a concentration right. camp. No, we don't have a re-education camp. There's no such thing exists. Yeah. But after mounting evidence that have been uh, leaked uh, from inside China and from re research researchers here found so, much, so many evidence, including... Um, videos, satellite images, and how how rapidly those uh, uh, camps, those factories have uh, expanded over the past three years. Yes, and it just they just simply can't hide yeah. it anymore. Finally, the government admitted, yes, 
yeah, there are centers. It just it's not a concentration camp. It's training center. Mm. There's vocational training centers for um, people to learn how to uh, for people to learn gain skills to get gain jobs. So it's a, a power, poverty uh, av- uh, alleviation. Got it. People who have been sent to um, those kind of camps, yes, it do include some poor people or some um, non-really educated people, yes. But there also includes well-known soccer players, singers, comedians, uh, scholars, university professors. Um, it could be people who had decent jobs, who had a very stable life, but they all have been taken away taken away from their family members and arrested um just uh just last year the president of the xinjiang university was sentenced i think he was sentenced to death or or life and uh that's his name and also um a well-known editor um he he uh he published the uyghur textbooks he was sentenced for 15 years And uh, Rahila Dawood, uh, a well-known, one of the most uh, revered apologists in the Uyghur region, she has also been sent to the concentration camps, and we don't know where she is exactly, where she has been transferred to. And there's so many names, I can't even name it, because yeah. we're not everyone is lucky enough to have family members overseas to tell their story. Oh, not everyone. I. I could quote unquote unlucky because I don't know if it, this yeah. is the right word for it. Yeah, actually, one of the things which I was re- realizing as I'm reviewing this issue was that you know something that you're you're also kind of living through is that there it, people just got to know about this situation really late. Like it seems like it was around the mid to late '90s where the where this conflict kind of started between the government and the people of the Uyghur region and now it's progressed to where it is right now and why aren't more people like why don't more people know about it there are several reasons first mm, it has been really really hard to get evidence out yeah the entire china the entire state has been let's say, let's call it a police state. It's so heavily surveilled. People don't have access to Facebook, to Twitter, to Instagram. And what they only use is uh, Weibo and um, WeChat, uh, which is called Weixin and QQ. Those mainly are designed in Chinese and people overseas don't use them. Uh, People outside of China don't use use them and the most popular other social media apps that are well uh widely used all over the world are not allowed are banned in china searching engines like google it's yeah. not allowed people inside china the only way they have access to true information there are only two ways uh, the, the only way for them to have access to information there are only two ways first is to listen to what the state-backed media said which is the chinese government's words so that's only that's the one main source the second one is the you being the victim by yourself so you get to know what is happening that's the only two ways there's no other way so it's been really hard for people to get the news out since people who 
had that happened who had who actually experiencing it are inside a camp obviously they can't deliver the message out people who are outside of the camp they have no way to hear about it because the government is not going to talk about it on the news they will say we are creating jobs for the Uyghurs for let them have a happy job yeah. in that's I, what they they know i saw this bbc i think it was a bbc production where they have they had the press come into one of these centers and there they had people kind of working on computers they were doing local dances and all of that was happening and yes. people were unsure they were like this is a little creepy because if you look at the way people were responding it was very like they were like machines it wasn't like they were it something seemed very disingenuous about the whole thing about the whole conversation and everything and then later on when they checked and like they looked at satellite images they saw that just before the news event they had taken away some of the you know watchtowers which were there in that facility they had taken away the barriers yes and just for the sake of the media they had set up the yes. situation where uh, what they told the media was these people can leave anytime they want they come yes. on a daily basis and all those things yes and uh, that's obviously not true right yes did you see i i'm not sure if you see that part where they said oh yeah they can leave anytime so they actually allowed those people to leave in front of the media and the media came back after in an hour or two hours and found out that oh we're why are those people back I yeah they, they were, were lined up outside the 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 center yes i thought they were able to go home and the government was just oh don't don't stop and bepala bepala is like stop shooting stop shooting so all the all the information i either uh, all the footage is are either staged or they're not allowed to film it so the vice isabel young i believe that's her name from vice news um she went pretended like she was a travel blogger and she went into uh, the Uyghur region pretending like she was filming for a blog travel yeah. and she got some footages but she was forced she were forced she no english today. she was forced right. to delete them yeah. um the people would or either they just take her camera and delete them themselves but she was still managed to get some footages which you still find it creepy it's a 30 minutes documentary she actually this documentary was nominated nominated for M- emmy award this year yeah sure got, i think she won the best documentary right award for this year so please take a look and it's pretty creepy and if you also if you watch that bbc um uh documentary you will find lots of resemblance of the nazi video that yeah. was that was out uh in 1940s uh where they were the nazi um uh people were trying yeah. to say that everybody in those concentration camps are happy they're dancing and singing it, yeah nobody's going to randomly start dancing and singing in front of you a stranger in a classroom yeah and all dressing up the same that just the i don't even need to watch i already watched but i don't i didn't even need to watch it just by the sound of it i already i got goosebumps i got creeped out yeah there was there was something on like the look of i've so i saw the wise documentary as well and uh, it's that's also crazy like that documentary actually showed the number of cameras it's it's not normal for someone who's never been in that situation you know under that much scrutiny 
where you see like regular houses there are like cam- like there are cameras every 6 feet and mm-hmm. you know you're being looked at and, and first of all you're not just being looked at you're being like there are algorithms there is ai kind of reviewing and recognizing mm-hmm. you real time looking at your movement yeah and yes. uh, that's something which which just like i was like how is this this is complete like you know there's big brother looking at you all the time and mm-hmm. yeah i can imagine how dehumanizing that experience must be uh we could have almost gotten used to the life of being watched all the time the cameras are not even the worst everyone and every almost every household in the weaver region they have a qr code in front of every every apartment doors just like going to a zara store right. a policeman can scan in front of your apartment door scan the qr code to find out when you left the house when you entered the house because in order to go back and leave you have to scan it every time like every member of the family needs to scan it to re- basically means reporting on when you're leaving when you're coming back and the policeman they can just scan the qr code just like looking for a size in a shopping store and you know looking for when you went out what's the electricity usage of your apartment how much how much uh uh internet you you're you're using and um uh, just basically all the, every information uh they have they, they almost have access to why are they curious about the electricity usage and the internet usage or the gasoline usage why are you using so much electricity are you planning to are you planning something why are you using so much gasoline are you planning right. something why are you why are you drinking so much water why are you using yeah. so much water are you or do you have do you have so, some people hidden somewhere like that's that's the first way you know to check if they have like more people than they claim to have in that household is if you are using a sub, like an an inordinate amount of electricity or water or yes every information is used against the weavers and if you are using too much if you can't explain why then there's a chance you might be sent to a concentration camp or a forced labor camp or re-education camp whatever you call it um it's uh so when they say re-education like like a lot of people like a lot of these spaces say reeducation they use the word internment and things like that uh but they're not what what do they claim say they're saying they'll reeducate people is is that what it is what is it uh they call it a vocational training center right. or reeducation center to reeducate those non-educated or non-well educated people yeah. because they have uh they have po- their minds are poisoned and they have their minds needs to be washed to become a good citizen and apparently all those 1 million people are considered as poisoned ha- having poison in their minds and have have it, having an evil mind who are trying to overthrow the government Got it. and and it's just, and, it doesn't make sense and do you like did they have to have those plans did they have to be making those kinds of plans even if it was justified to be in one of those situations sorry i don't my I question understand. was that did they actually do something which was extremist quote unquote anti government to land up in one of those spaces like what did they have done that or no imagine 1 million people are extremists and that terrorists that seems unlikely to me how much damage would it cause and i don't i 
It doesn't make yeah, sense to me, me that a, an 80 year old old man who can barely walk yeah. is a terrorist. A 16 year old young kid who who just graduated middle school or just starting his high school is a terrorist and or extremist. A girl who studied in in United States having her master degree just it's just it's just an accusation to 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 brainwash the rest of people the rest of the chinese people outside um how do i say it in english i'm trying to grab my grammar um to justify their action to make them sound logical rational in front of um the people like in rest 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 in rest of the part of china yeah. I don't know if I made it right. Got it. Got it. I had a long day. No, Sorry. it's all good. Sorry it's all good. So it seems like it's like they're kind of trying to justify this, this, these acts kind of putting people in. Because Chinese people are not bad. I, that's my understanding. That's why yeah. I believe because I was born and raised in Beijing. I, my entire life, I hung out with the Chinese people. There are lots of very kind people. And I believe any kind human soul will would not allow things like this, this kind of behavior to happen yeah. in any society, yeah. any society. And Chinese people are kind people. A lot of them are very kind. And if, if, if the Chinese government really revealed their own real actions, I don't think the Chinese people will be happy. Yeah. And a lot of them might stand up and against the government, just like what happened in, um, uh, in uh, June 4th, the Tianmen, Tiananmen Square incident. So, so um, the Chinese government doesn't want any riot yeah. or any any protest or demonstration to happen like that. Yeah, um, yeah, that's what I'm beginning to realize. That at the core of it, most people are positive, nice. They don't want to do anything bad. Yes, um, yes. At, but the problem happens when you know there are such large institutions that are living to basically create a narrative around a group of people. You know. We had those. We had this thing in India as well. So, we were reviewing. I was reviewing a movie, and in one of the movies, uh, the rich aristocratic individual is the good guy, right? He's the he's being victimized by this dacoit, and this dacoit lives outside town, and like he's kind of like a pariah, and the story uh, glorifies the rich guy and villainizes the villainizes the pariah, the dacoit. But if you really look at that movie one more time, what they're trying to do is they're trying to isolate a certain group of society from the rest of society. And we celebrate that because we thought that that guy was the bad guy. But that's not really the case. The case is that somewhere we believe the narrative or the story that there's one group of people that have done something wrong to another group of people and because of that any aggressive action against them is justified and that may that may not be true and mm-hmm. uh, yeah that's that's definitely sad to hear um with reference to time spent how much t- like do people are people sent in indefinitely are there average sentences what is it are people do people come out what do they do when they come out of these uh, camps yes people do come out and some people don't some people die 
Some people disappear. Some people, we don't know what happened to them. Um, some people, they, they, just like going to, a, let's, what they, the government claims is like a school, right? Or training center. It's actually like a training center. They do have a grading system. Yeah. If you don't pass certain tests, well, then you're probably going to a prison. Right. Um, but not necessarily everyone will go through a trial unless you're some uh, socially higher status people or, or, for example, the president of the Xinjiang University, he was a well-known scholar, so he had to go through a trial. But not everyone is lucky enough to go through a trial. Most of the people don't des even deserve a trial in, in government's eyes, in the Chinese government's eyes, um, uh, the Uyghur region. And some people, they are considered as well-behaved and they get out within six months or two years, um, which the government calls as graduated from those, from those schools. And, um, yeah. And I don't know what those people have to do to be able to graduate, to be able to, I don't know what they have to go through, but I, what I do know is I have been working on a documentary film on the Uyghurs for, for two, almost two yeah. years. And, I have interviewed lots of um, camp survivors, family members of camp survivors. And according to the testimonies by those uh, first-hand victims, um, a lot of them had stated that they were forced to watch other uh, detainees to be abused, to be raped, and they cannot look away or look like they're sad or angry about it. Otherwise, they do not pass the test. Right. They cannot look, and they have to you know, just apparently agree on what those guards are doing to this girl. So often, uh, uh, there was one, uh, one victim, victim uh, camp survivor had told me that one girl was raped for the entire night, that the second day when she went to the classroom, she could barely sit on her chair. She fell off the chair. And right. she got beaten so much just for falling, falling, falling from the chair. And That's... things like that, they said... <laughs> The, they say it happens so often. You could hear the screams. You can't. You don't get food. You don't get water. You get you get fed with unknown medicines. You get injected with unknown medicines. Um, it, um, and um, after having those medicines, you have white foams coming out of your mouth. In the beginning, they didn't know what those medicines were for, but they would eat it because. They're not allowed to not eat it. Yeah. And that's the only time when having those medicines were the only times that they are allowed to have water, consume water. Other before, beside those timing, they didn't even get water. So she said that it didn't matter to them. After having those medicines, she felt uh, the person who, who, who testified on this specific situation, she said she felt weak all over her body. And she didn't know what those medicines were for. Yeah. But after she skipped to the United States and she did, uh, this, uh, uh, the U.S. Uh, government offered her a physical check and she was not able to bear children anymore. Is She can no longer be a mother uh, again. Right. And which means uh, the other detainees, the female detainees in the camps who got injected to similar injections, they probably can no longer become a mother anymore. Right. Um, no, I don't mean that everyone has to become a mother, but that is your no, right absolutely. if you want to become or not. 
that should be your choice, not by any other person. And you're, this is your fundamental right. It should not be. Yeah, absolutely. I I don't even think you need to kind of explain the fact that forced sterilization is wrong. I mean, it's, you're, you're not taking consent. You're, I mean, not even consent. You're just basically taking a reproductive decision for someone. And that's absolutely wrong. And so these these people first of all when do you th- when is the documentary going to be out how can someone watch it if they have to we're hoping to get it out by um next february which is the during the berlin movie festival right. but we're still trying to wrap up the film because we need some funding and we almost f- finished all the filmings but it's editing uh the post-production is the most costly yeah. part and we're still looking for fundings and we're looking for a uh, post-production company to help us. And um, we're, we really do hope to get this film out as soon as possible. We already postponed it for a year because of the pandemic yeah. and um, pandemic is not helping in any way. So um, we're hoping to get it out by next right. February or a little later. Yeah. And, um, and we're still trying to negotiate with some uh, companies um, 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 or streaming companies for them to possibly maybe buy this film yeah. so online yeah. and yeah but I, I will I will con- I constantly post uh, updates on our GoFundMe yeah. site for our film right. if people look up static and noise they will be able to find so it it's called static and noise static noise Okay, and you have a yeah. GoFundMe, and people can reach out and kind of contribute there. So yeah, I've, yes, I'll definitely even one, even one cent is appreciated. Absolutely, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a clip out of this little section, and I'm going to put that up, and I'm going to put the link in the description as well, so people can access that. And so uh, you're saying that you spoke to, and this is this is very important because I'm. I want your claim to be substantiated, you know, like I want you to, I want people to believe that you really did speak to people from this background. Sometimes people can say, you know, anybody can say it, but I don't want, Yeah, the f- out. <laughs> I don't, I don't want people to just think that. So when you did speak to people, like they, were they confirmed that they had been to one of these camps? Like was there a. Yes. Yes. There are several uh, camp survivors who were able to, uh, get released or skip. Um, there are several of them. Some of them. Um, so our production, our our um, production team were able to fly to fly into China, and um, they sneak. I didn't go, but they sneaked into China and got some pretty good footages. And also, they went to Kazakhstan, where a lot of the Uyghur previ- uh, formal detainees were um, sent to. So because some of them. Um, have family members in Kazakhstan and they were uh, reaching out uh, by the Kazakhstan embassy and tried to get them sent to Kazakhstan. So there are some in Kazakhstan, some in Turkey and some in Europe, some in the United States. So there are several of them and we did interview a lot of them. Um, not a lot of them, but there are not many of them, yeah. but tried to interview most of the camp survivors. Already. Right. And that must be very tough for them to come out because the moment they do, they like I guess they always work with the assumption that when you do come out, you're put um, in one way or another, you're either isolating yourself with the rest of the community from in China forever, and then the second thing would be that 
they may be putting or they are definitely putting the people that are still in back home in some level of danger yes um people are afraid to well in the beginning people were afraid to speak up because they wasn't they weren't sure if they were the only ones and if but now there's so many of them it's like over 1 million population every uyghur you know every uyghur you are in touch with i i assure you this is not an exaggeration they have at least one to 10 family members are locked up are sent to concentration camp someone i know had 70 members of their families because uyghur have big big family members so big families usually one person i know had 72 or 76 family relatives are sent to uh eradication centers so every uyghur you know at least have one relatives or friends someone they know are sent to the eradication center so this is not something that is happening one family two families it's happening to the entire region it's it's yeah going really wild and it's not only happening to the Uyghurs anymore they're starting doing this to Tibetans Mongolians yeah. and to, to to Chinese Koreans and to Hui Muslims it's it's there are another Muslim yeah. group called Hui and it's happening not only to to one small population anymore small group of population anymore it's expanding and expanding so a lot of people I'm sure they they still do remain silent silent and but there are people are brave enough and they they know that they can't they can't keep this um in their memories yeah. they have to speak up about yeah. it and yeah and I'm, i i really do appreciate them for being able to speak up when i interviewed one um one camp survivor who who testified about the um the raping and the, the injection for sterilization she was shaking when I interviewed yeah. her. She couldn't help. And it was not, it was maybe a month or two months after she got out. So she was still heavily injured, um, not a physical way, but in a mental way. She was heavily hurt. When I brought up about her children, she had triplets. One of them died, was killed by the government. And she, she couldn't, she, her eyes, uh, I don't know how to, she, her eyes started rolling at, without she couldn't control was she getting it. a seizure was and, that a seizure that's what it's called she almost had a seizure and i had to calm her down i said it's okay you don't have to talk about it if you don't want and she said no i have to talk about this and she could not stop her her tears by coming i have my brother i don't have a children i'm, I'm never married right but i do have my brothers and we are 15 years apart so i took care of them we were, we were extremely close so i know how it is to have someone taken away from you. Now I was, I'm just living apart from a brother and it was already so hard. Imagine having your child killed. Imagine having a cold body of a few months old baby handed to your hand, to your arms. Imagine they gave, that. they gave the baby to her in her arms. Yes. A cold body. And she, the baby had a scar over the neck. And she doesn't know what happened. And they didn't say what happened either. That's apparently they did apply some surgery on the baby, but the baby baby died on the surgery back, and she wasn't allowed to ask what surgeries it was for. That sucks. And uh, and I believe this does not this is not a single case. 
it's, yeah, I'm that's, sure it's that's very important. I uh, these cases are not singular. Like there are many, many cases like this. Is it? My cousin is also in the jail. My cousin is sentenced for ten years for refusing to hand hand in her cell phone on the street because there are checkpoints on the streets. She was on her way to shop, and randomly, the the police will ask you to hand in her phone because. Um, maybe they like your phone model. They said, oh, you have some sensitive information. We need to check it. You have to hand it. And if you say, no, I don't want to, I don't have anything sensitive, then you'll be locked up. And she refused to hand in her phone. Now she's sentenced for 10 years. It's ten, not a single case. My uncle's- 10 years. And that's like, they don't they don't give you early release or anything. I mean, it's terrible that they're inside. She wasn't even on the legal page uh, on the Chinese legal detention. In the, every case was supposed to be found online. You should be able to tell what's uh, what's this person's tri- what's the trial, what's the accusation, how long's charged. You can't even find her case online. You can't, and it's not happening to one one person. I I have two other relatives, my uncles, um, from from my um, f- further relatives was sent to a eradication center. They were released now, but they spent two years there. And what they did, they visited one of the Central Asian countries for doing business, for a business right. trip. My high school, my high school, um, uh, um, someone I know from my uh, high school, her sister and uh, her, um, trying to, uh, remember what's the family relationship to her i think it was her second uncle or or i can't remember the exact well she had few family members anyways i was also disappeared because they took a uh visiting trip to turkey with a with a traveling uh uh group it's it's is it like a visitor group yeah and she spent a week or two in turkey and she was she was a chemistry teacher in the high school and she was also sent to a a a a, a um, camp. And how does visiting a country for traveling consider a crime? How is not refu- uh, not willing to hand in your phone consider a crime? And how does it make sense to me? That's that's disgusting. That's um, absolutely. I have no other word except the word disgusting for that because um, it seems. I mean, it's something which is. Imagine having someone in your family have that experience. I can, I can only imagine how confusing and tough it must be just to see that. And for families who are living abroad, like if someone from their family, or not just abroad, but even even when you're in this um, in the Uyghur region, can you appeal any of these cases legally? Is there any way that you can check in on your family? This, these abuses are state-sponsored. Where do you go for appealing? The state. And if if the state is the one that is causing those damage, they're not they're not going to take your appeals. Right. My father's second appeal for 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 his uh, charges was refused without even review, <laughs> and I think legal. Actions. 
I, I think it just doesn't exist in Uyghur region anymore. At least for the Uyghur people, it doesn't, it doesn't exist. So in the case of your dad, you have asked for an appeal twice. They've both been twice. rejected. Yes. Do you know currently where he is? No, I haven't heard anything of him since 2017. Yeah. My, um, between Since he was um, sentenced, my family were able to visit him every three months. According to the Chinese law themselves, uh, constitutional law, every political prisoner is supposed to be allowed, <coughs> excuse me, allowed to be visited by their family members every month. For my family, it was every three months. I don't know why. And now, since 2017, the three-month uh, visiting right is also taken away. And we don't know if he has been transferred to another prison, to another city, to another region, to a, a camp, to a factory, or if he's even alive. We have no idea. Right. And that's... And is there... So there's, there's no way that... They took away the three months, so that means that uh, nobody has had a chance to visit your dad. So you're unsure as to where his location is as well. Yes. Well, I, I, the last time I heard what of like any news of him was before 2017. He was held in Urumqi first prison. We don't know if he has been transferred because we just simply can't visit him. And we just don't know what is happening to him, what happened to him, because we just simply can't visit him and we just don't, we just can't get any hold of him. And does the government cut short, like, or basically say, like, do they have some kind of provision where you, like, good behavior, things like that, for people to kind of be, like, be out sooner than their sentence usually that does happen among in china i don't know if it happens in the Uyghur region i don't know i'm not very sure about this this yeah this is quite situation in terms of it must be highly frustrating for families who are in this situation families who are in this particular space where you know someone of their loved ones is uh, is basically held back in the space. And it's, you're unsure what they've done. You're unsure about when you're going to see them. You're unsure about when you're going to see them next. What, what can they do? Like, what can be done about such a situation? Um, the first, the most important step and the easiest step, the first step is to first be aware of what is happening. Right. It, um, for people to be able to, the best way, the first step for, and it's the best way to help, is to not be ignorant about the situation. And second way is to take action yourself. The third way is to mobilize other people to take actions. Right. And for the first way, I don't have to teach you how to how to be aware of the situation. Well, we can simply. Google, yeah. you will be able to find out tons of information and you will, people, whoever is doubting if I'm telling the truth, will be able to find tons of videos, pictures, testimonies, leaks, documents from Chinese government themselves. Yeah. 
will be you you will be able to find tons of evidence and let's first be aware of what is happening be educated about it second um taking action which is there are several degrees on taking actions the first degree i believe is first not being complicit you don't need to help the uyghurs but at least please don't contribute to the abuses what do i mean by that please do not support there are over 37 countries publicly um supported what the chinese government is doing to the Uyghur region they wrote a letter to un and said what the government is doing it's great and first like please do not be complicit and second a lot of the uyghurs uyghurs over 800,000 uh, uyghurs have been sent to forced labor factories to work and a lot of those factories are textile companies or um um uh, uh, um the com uh, companies that make clothes so simply stop purchasing uh yeah. items uh from from brands that are involved in the forced labor right. abuses and you will be able to find uh, if you uh, if you search and uyghurforcelabor.org, you will be able to find the list of companies that are involved and uyghurforcelabor.org. You will be able to find um, specific actions to take. You'll be able to find what companies are complicit, are sourcing, are having uh, their sub suppliers, uh, sub companies or factories or functioning in the Uyghur region or hiring Right. So you'll be able to find a list of names. So we'll stop purchasing from them. I know it's going to be difficult because, for example, um, brands like um, uh, my brain on top of my like Zara. Zara. Yeah. Zara, they have um, beautiful clothes. I love them so, so nice. much. I have the entire closet. I used to have an entire closet full of their clothes. They're cheap. They're fashionable, you know, and and, and if it, if you swore not to get another one, it's very popular. But once I learned, they um, they they had relationship with Huafu, which was the key uh, company that was involved in forced yeah. labor. I stopped purchasing from anything that was uh, uh, that anything that was cotton product and anything that was made in right. China, because eighty percent of the cotton production in China is from the region. Twenty percent of the global production is from the Right. So there is one out of five companies entering the yeah. US that are possibly tainted with forced labor. That's a simple math. Yeah, I heard somewhere that even the masks that we use for for coronavirus time, they have been yeah. made from the Uyghur region or like there's Uyghur forced yeah. labor involved in a lot of those masks. Yes, and equipments, um like the facial the the clothes probably, yeah. Um yes. So I know it's pretty difficult yeah. to stay over, stay away. I know it's so difficult. Yeah. Trust me, I've been there. <laughs> it's personally hard for me to cut off because I'm a big, I'm very into fashion and I, I don't have so much money to purchase like some super ethical brands that are very expensive. Yeah. So, but what I choose was I go to a secondhand store or local um, uh, local stores which they made their own clothes, they designed their own stuff, and uh, and also um, Uyghur designers. There are several brands. There, I think there's this website called Uyghur Collective. Um, they have um, shirts. Um, it's not a lot of size, but it's very interesting, you nice, uh, traditional 
uh, well, well, not traditional, but, but uh, anyways, you know. Yeah, what I, I, mean? I get, I get what you're saying. People yeah. can can go My to the Uyghur Collective and yeah. identify. The thing is called Uyghur Collective. Yeah, um, I bought I bought two uh, sweatshirts from them. It's pretty nice, and they don't source from the Uyghur region. They design themselves and. Right. And, you know, and you also, by purchasing from them, you can somehow, you know, support the Uyghur businesses. Yeah. And there are, they ship to, to I think, other countries as well. So if you don't live, if you live outside of the U.S., you can still do it. That's and nice. also, the, I think there are other brands like Atlas. Can't remember the names, but if, I'm sure if you look up on Google Uyghur businesses, you'll be able to find. And if you go to restaurants, try to go in Uyghur restaurants, take takeouts from Uyghur restaurants. Yeah. You know, so many Uyghurs there every day. They're suffering from not being able to contact their families. At least make their lives better by. By yeah, by and it's not like you're. It's not like you're. It's not charity. You are. You are definitely getting something out of this. The food yeah. Uyghur food is amazing. I love it. So yeah. for sure. It's they, universally accepted. The flavor is universally accepted. It's really, really good. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then with reference to the whole situation, this whole situation that everyone's in, it's affecting so many lives, so many people's people all over the place. How do you, like, is there an end to the situation which is beneficial, like mutually beneficial to both parties, like, what if you were to say you know you were in charge and you were to identify a solution right now which would work what what do you think would work you mean what would work for the uyghurs and the chinese government yes like how can this situation be made better from where it is like what can be done i think stopping stop abusing a group of people should not be a hard decision it should not be even pick up to say, oh, what can be a better solution? Yeah. It's just stopping. It's it's a common sense that you should never harm anyone for no reason. You should never harm anyone just for your own sake. It's it's just for me. I If I say something that hurts someone's feeling, it already makes me sad for three days. I don't understand how someone can torture other people, to sterilize other people, to rape, to to physical to do physical it just doesn't make sense to me i really i always try to put myself in other people's shoes and up to this day i don't understand it i don't understand why would any government any authoritarian regime or government leaders or any any anyone why would anyone want to harm anyone it just doesn't make sense to me i try really hard to understand it just doesn't make sense to me there are tons tons of excuses for me, my fans have been directly targeted, have been harmed. Yeah. And I have tried my best to not hate, take my anger on other people, other Chinese people, because yeah. it's not them that did this action. It's specific government members that they did it. And I think it should be go towards the same to the others. If you're unhappy about certain person's reaction or their behavior should not be targeting the entire community. Yeah. And if you are trying to get something out of them, try to negotiate by providing other stuff to them in exchange instead of locking them in camps. If you want their cotton production, if you want their gold, if you want their uh, gas, it might sound naive, provide them with something else in exchange. I thought that's how money works. If you provide money, you get something. If you want to buy a clothes, you spend money. Right. You do not just 
rob the store or yeah. rob the bank, right? It's the reason it's made illegal is because it's wrong. Yeah, and I yeah. I mean, I know that we moved past these facts, but I wanted to kind of bring that back was that even before this situation, right, even before Uyghurs were, as a people were, you know, their freedoms were taken away. Before that, their economic progress was taken away. Like in terms of, there were a lot of people, like there were a lot of people who were moved to this region from what I understand. Mm-hmm. And they were from mainland China. They were given better jobs and better access to opportunities to economically impoverish people from the Uyghur region as well. So it's not just you know, one level. It's also the fact that they are, yeah. you know, they have been subjected to situations where they would be in a state of poverty for a long period of time. Yeah. Also, also with the education system, there's a huge black hole in the education system too. That's actually a good question for my father to answer. Unfortunately, yeah. he's not here. He one of the reasons he was also targeted by the government was because he was doing researches on how to make those problems become less of a problem how to fix those and he was trying to provide a solution he actually did propose some really interesting ideas on his website you might be able to find it and and he but the government didn't accept his suggestions his his um um advices and instead he was put under house arrest multiple times he was um the government um 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 even even um created a car accident to threaten my father and suspended my uh, school uh, school status when I was in high school, etc. Like all kinds of things to shut my father up, uh, right. to sh- shut him up. And I really wish like if the government, if they uh, listened to what my father proposed at that point, the situation would be so different right now. So, so your dad... <laughs> Well, it seemed to me that he was in Beijing for a long period of time, maybe 10, 15. More than 20, 30 years, I think. And he was trying, and his main contribution was he was trying to get education reform. Yes. And and less job discrimination, less discrimination among the Uyghur community, towards the Uyghur community. And also building hospitals. Like uh, he was suggest proposed that there should be more hospitals made in the Uyghur region because lots of the transportation is already bad because just simply the government didn't invest enough money on building roads and and, and lots of people need to ride donkeys yeah. to get to a hospital for three days yeah. and then they die on their ways. Right. And my father said proposed lots of ideas of how you should spend your money. Um, you have already sucked in enough money, like the cuts and gold and gas, everything, oil. You should be contributing some to the region to help development yeah. and stop educating people that you have you have spent so much money on the region, you have developed them so much. No, the, the place is still lacks so much of um, infrastructures, uh, help with uh, infrastructures, investments. And, and the government kept claiming on the state-backed media that Uyghurs have taken up so much resources. Uyghurs have uh, accepted so much help from the government. But the other Han Chinese people who are not living in the Uyghur region, they will never be able to find out. And they will always think, oh, Uyghurs are non-educated. They don't study. They don't have work. It's not because we don't want to. It's because we're not offered. My cousin, one of my cousins, 
she studied in Beijing, one of the very well-known university. She was a very good student. Um, I remember um, things were not even that bad in early 2000-ish, but she was one of the best students in her class. She applied for a job. Yeah. For the exact same um, uh, job position, someone who went to a very middle-of-nowhere university, a Han Chinese got the job offer. And so in China, connection is everything. My my cousin even had a connection to one of the um, election committee, or I don't know what it's called, for, for people who are hiring. And and she, she asked, why did I not? I thought I did pretty well in the in the in the job interview they said don't you really know why it's because of your identity and this is so common a lot of jobs description in the past when things were not even that bad lots of job descriptions they have they write oh we need this and this and no Uyghurs or no tibetans yeah this was very and my father realized this was a huge problem lots of people who went students they went study really hard to get into a very good yeah. university and they try so hard they still don't have a job or they get a very mm, shitty job and 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 so they were told to their face that you're because of your status or because of your pers- because of the kind of uh, background you come from you're not going to get a job it's it's not to their face it's written in job uh requirements oh. sometimes that we hire those people from those groups who do not hire this. Oh. Yeah. And if I don't know if you know about this in in Beijing or in other cities, if you go to hotels, if you're Uyghur, people will tell you, sorry, we don't have rooms. Oh. Because of your Uyghur. You cannot <laughs> go into um they do not say on websites that they do not host Uyghurs, but once you arrive, let's say you book online, you arrive and you show your resident paper and, and it says Uyghur, bye, That's... please go back. And they would even contact the police. Right. Yeah, that's that's pretty terrible. Yeah, I know that it's incredibly difficult to in a country to in any any country to set up a non-discriminatory hiring process. And the moment you don't do that, the moment you know the hiring process is discriminatory. Everything else goes away, like uh, your your education, uh, and a lot of people have make this very uh, template argument, saying, "Oh, you know, why don't this person work harder? Like, why don't this person try a little bit more? Maybe they'll get a little further." Like they're they're like this because they're they're poor because they're lazy, and all these kinds of arguments. It's actually created to. Uh, to make the person to to hide the fact that there is something larger which which puts someone in that position and it starts right from access to education you know you might have two spaces where one person's getting a great quality education and one person isn't but that's terrible itself right that's going to affect so many different things one of uh, a lot of people actually had this argument in the states that uh, you know people you can't use iq as a basis of selecting for people's jobs because the iq metric is based on so many levels if your iq is also based on your level of education the higher education that you have the higher you score on an iq test but your level of education is also like one factor behind that is your social eco socio economic level like were your were your parents educated 
you know how much do they earn were they able to were you able to spend that time studying what region do you come from there are so many factors just associated to even iq that you can't just make a blanket statement saying that this person wasn't successful because they were lazy or you can't make that statement saying it's because of the fact that this person belongs to one group but hidden behind that one factor which is your group there are so many things happening behind that and that's something that people should definitely unpack because otherwise it will be really difficult for anyone to get for any change to happen and i think at the core of it everyone wants that change to happen and uh, just to close things out uh, how can someone reach you if they wanted to kind of reach out to you uh, contact you um people are free to contact me over twitter instagram i'm both under the name jawhar um for instagram is jawhar um j e w h e r r r and for my twitter is jawhar.ilham um so i read all my messages and comments even if it's negative <laughs> or positive or questions or concerns it might take time for me to respond because i receive tons of questions concerns messages negative positive messages so right. but i will read every single of them and if it's if it's um urgent i i always try to respond back um so if anyone has any questions feel free to reach out to me and I'm happy to answer them or lead them to a person who can answer the best. Yeah, um and I will definitely put all the links that you mentioned. I'll try getting some of them from you, but I will definitely put all of them up on the conversation so that's something that people can access in the descriptions as well. So thank you so much Jawhar. I'm just going to stop. Thank for, you. For this. And I really appreciate you speaking. It was really informative. So thank you so much for thank you. speaking one second. I'm just going to stop. Thank you for doing